Welcome to the Starfire Codes podcast, where we discuss metaphysics, survival, the media, and the truth. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Amy Pitchell. We're here today with Sarah Beal. Unschooling mom to four, Sarah has observed firsthand the power of self-directed education and raising children in sovereignty and freedom. She's an advocate of natural learning and giving kids the space to play, learn, and live in adventure with connective parenting as the foundation for all. Sarah's a writer, speaker, and mentor, and she works with parents to free themselves from paradigms of control and generational programming. Sarah Beal, part one. So tell us about your journey. Tell us about how you got into this to begin with. Uh, tell, us, tell us a bit about unschooling, but tell us your journey and, and how you came across this idea and how you put this into practice with your own family and, and all of that. Take us, take us on, on the ride so far. Mm. Well, I had kids basically <laughs> and they didn't they didn't really want to go to school <laughs> or anywhere that wasn't with me uh so we did start out in in school as you know the majority of parents do because in the same way as we do many things that we're programmed to do you, you're on the on the train and you just go along and most families have got like an event or something that happened and it was the same for us. It was one of my children in particular who was uh, particularly dedicated to his own way of thinking and being and school was not for him. I mean, I believe it's not for any child, but it like the other kids might have been okay, but he was really not okay. So he was the impetus, but we were already well, I was already having doubts for a long time because I'd spent a few years watching my kids at home playing, hanging out with their siblings and their close friends, pulling the Tupperware out the cupboard and making things out of Play-Doh and making orange juice from the fruit in the backyard and building things out of junk. And I could see that they didn't really need anyone else for that stuff. And... I knew what school was like because I've been, most people have been, and I remembered what school was like. So I had concerns early on, which I guess is why I was then open down the track to making a different choice um, about really killing creativity. And because I could see how creative my my four-year-old at the time, she was my oldest, uh, I could see how creative she was and I could see how she had no no attachment to how anything worked out she was just playing and she didn't care if things looked good she didn't come and show me and say oh mum look at this amazing thing she didn't care what I thought either she wasn't doing it for rewards and I know that what school does is manipulates kids by behavioral management and it stops them being creative like we're all creative and school sorts us into categories so most people think they're not creative now and if you're creative you're an extra special amazing person but actually we're all creative and it just gets kind of squashed at school so I already had these ideas in my mind because I was watching them do something taught anything at all they could like walk and talk and climb up into the fridge and get snacks and make things happen that they wanted to happen without me instructing them. I guess they watched me, right? Like kids, a toddler is watching other people in their circle walking and then they have the instinct to give it a try and they keep going and then they can do it. No one's having walking lessons. So nevertheless, 
we did start out in school because, as I said, I was on the train and I didn't really know what else to do. And I didn't know anybody else who wasn't doing that. Uh, so that's where we started. And we lasted a year before I met other families who were homeschooling. And uh, those families remained champions for us because they were the cheerleaders who were like, we actually went back into the school system for a bit. And these beautiful families would say, like, what are you doing? Why aren't come and come and hang out with us? Like, you guys should be homeschoolers. You're like born to be homeschoolers. And eventually, uh, having enough exposure to another way of living uh, helped me develop the trust that I needed to make that choice ultimately. Um, after one of my kids in particular was literally telling me that he wanted to die and was describing actual physical pain. Um, and this is not uncommon, right? You might, you, I can see you look horrified, but this is what kids at school are experiencing. And many of them don't tell their parents because they haven't got the words for it uh, or they know they're not going to be listened to. There's no point. There's no point in saying I don't want to go to school because most kids don't know that there's an option. And actually for many, there's really not because you've got to have some parents in your corner to make that happen. But this is what he was telling me. And I could see that that was true. This kid has been always on fire um, for information. He loves information. All kids love learning. So he's not special in that way, but he loves information. And he gets really excited about sharing it. And that was, he was losing that at school because they were trying to teach him dumb shit. And he knew he didn't <laughs> need to know it. And they would try to tell him that the way he was thinking about something wasn't right. And you've got to use this other thing over here. And he's like, this is so stupid. Like, why am I, why do I have to be here? And it was hurting him. It was actually hurting him. Yeah. So, and you can't, I, can, I can't do that to a child. So once you have one that, that you're not sending, it, it makes sense for you because you're going to have to be there with that one to keep the rest of them them home, I would imagine, and, and do oh, all gosh. of that together. Yeah. 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 I mean, there are, look, there are families who do who do a hybrid approach, you know, like the, the, they maybe have, they have kids that want to go to school. And if my kids had really wanted to stay, we would have made that happen. But actually, they two of them hadn't gone yet and two of them were. So... Um, we just asked everyone and they were like, yeah, like as if we wouldn't, as if we weren't going to school, right? <laughs> it turns out when you ask most kids, they don't want to go, but most parents don't ask kids. Yeah. So, I mean, really, actually, there was more to it. It was, it was actually that we were starting to notice or find that school was a very big inconvenience. It was really stopping us from living. Um, you know, when you get up in the morning, the kids would start playing. They'd be excited to pick up where they left off the night before. They'd go straight into play. And then I would have to stop them from playing to go to this place that no one wanted to go. And, and they're it, it learning through play. Getting four kids they're, yeah, they're, they're learning. That, that is how play. kids learn. Yeah. Absolutely. So, so you're, you're interrupting yeah. their learning yeah. to go send them to do some other kind of learning yeah. where they're not learning because they're not playing. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> it makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. So it, it, eventually it made so little sense that my heart couldn't do it anymore. Um, yeah. So explain to and us. And everything changes when you're not school. Yeah, yeah. Explain to us unschooling for, for people who have not been exposed to the concept. Anyone who's listening who uh, who doesn't know the concept of, of unschooling, homeschooling, world schooling, that kind of a thing. Um, explain a bit about mm. that and, and how that's become, you know, a, a movement, you know, pretty, pretty recently in the scheme of things, I guess. You know, in the, in the past, you know. Uh, well, I mean, it's really very... It's very ancient, really. It's really a very yeah, ancient yeah. way of living. Without 
and uh, school. School is very modern. Yes, yeah. The, the terminology, <laughs> um, though, is is pretty recent to, uh, so, yeah, to our vernacular. It, yeah, it, the terminology is, yeah, it is pretty recent. And it was John Holt, really, that coined the term unschooling. And he's someone that, um, you know, I would always recommend to parents to check out. He's actually died, but he started writing books about kids based on his observations of kids, which is so interesting because so much early childhood in particular study and what teachers learn at university isn't based on actually observing kids in the natural environment. Some of it's based on made up, actually made up stuff, and a lot of it's based on based on kids in school. So John Holt was one of the first people, there are people before him, but more modern, uh, who watched children, literally just watched them and wrote down what he noticed. And that formed the basis of several books which have been really helpful for parents who want to um, bring bring back, you know, education into their family home and give parents the confidence that they can do it by sharing these observations of how capable kids are. So that was really the beginning of what we now call the unschooling movement, but it is a very ancient way of being. It's very, arguably a very kind of hunter-gatherer um, traditional way of living where kids have got a lot of time to play and explore and relate to the people around them and figure things out, mess up, try things uh, without prescription or curriculum. And another, you know, some people call unschooling self-directed learning. Self-directed learning is um, th there are sort of like like any movement, right, there are factions. So there would be some families who use self-directed learning and they perhaps choose not to use unschooling because unschooling tends to more often than not indicate a whole of life approach as opposed to um, being able to just pick out the educational element. You know, there's an un, an acknowledgement in most unschooling families um, in, in America, in particular. They, there's an additional kind of counterculture educational movement called radical unschooling, which is kind of uniquely American in terms of the terminology, but it, it really is where unschooling extends to every part of your life where it's impossible really to differentiate between education and anything else that you're doing because it's actually all just part of living um, so that is what unschooling is it's self-directed learning mostly extended beyond learning into family life where children have got a, um, a high level of autonomy to make decisions about how they spend their time and how they want to live. So when you look at, you know, um, comparing and contrasting a typical day um, of sending your kids to school and what they do at school and when they come home and what that, that day and that schedule is like compared to what you tend to do on a typical or even atypical day, um, you know, unschooling where you've got, you know, um, four kids who want to go in four different directions and do different things, or you're, you're managing um, a, a collective activity or, or whatever that particular day looks like. Can you tell us, you know, um, the, the difference and kind of compare and contrast those two so that people will know, you know, sort of a, um, just to be able to wrap their heads around, you know, what a day would look like typically for you? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it certainly can be chaotic because the more kids you have, the more preferences there are to take into account, right? And I guess as the, the parent is normally, even where kids have a high degree of sovereignty and autonomy, the parent remains the kind of family project manager who has to make the stuff happen. Um, it's no coincidence then that 
the majority of unschooling families that I've come across come from that real foundation of attachment and connection because the tools, being able to communicate with your kids, being able to navigate conflict, being able to support kids through emotions, etc., cetera, uh, is really important when four people want to do four different things. Um, my kids are getting older now and it does get easier because they don't all have to come with me. But when they were younger and they all had to come with me, one of them wanted to do parkour, everyone had to come. And they didn't all want to come. So there's a lot of negotiating, a lot of like, okay, what, what can we do to make it fun? Maybe we can have a picnic while he's doing the class. Maybe um, we can get a donut on the way. I don't know, like whatever. Uh, maybe we can take the computer and you can watch a movie while you're waiting. Uh, the distinction probably is that it's all chosen by our family. So it's true that not everyone wants to do everything all the time and there's been challenges where someone feels annoyed because they have to go out and they didn't really want to because one of their siblings has something on. Um, and when you live without force, uh, you might think, well, if you're hardly ever forced to do something, surely you could put up with those few occasions where you might be, but that's not how it always works. It's actually like the, the, the more autonomy they have, the more autonomous they are. Um, so, yeah, if it, you, your role becomes a facilitator of these conversations rather than uh, what I say goes because I said so. Um, the dynamic generally in an unschooling family is the opposite of an authoritarian type parenting model where the parent makes the choice. You know, there are more conventional homeschooling philosophies or styles where they're more curriculum-based um, and some of those approaches require the parent to be much more curriculum-focused and much more directive and you wouldn't generally see that stuff in an unschooling family because it is based on what the kids want to do, um, self-directed education and the knowledge that kids are really capable of being in charge of their own learning because their, their body is literally driving it so they know what makes sense to them which is really different to a kid being taught how to do something by somebody else by this model that was not made for that child and feeling frustrated that they're not understanding a concept. They can learn everything the way that it makes sense to them, which is really powerful and a great way of growing adults who are going to be radically responsible but also really connected to everything around them. So how do you navigate that when, you know, you, you've got four very different children, four very different personalities, four very different um, tendencies towards certain learning styles and, and, um, and inclinations, things they want to do, you know, personality wise. And I'm sure, you know, some of them like structure more than others like structure and some of them like things that are more fluid as opposed to the others. How do you navigate that, you know, um, stylistically with each child with four? So my, we we are very much on like a rhythm as opposed to a structure. So there is this idea that some people like structure. Most people who say that are parents and most of the time they mean I like structure and they probably <laughs> don't know whether they're children. I'm not saying that's you, <laughs> but there's a difference between sometimes when people say structure, they really mean rhythm, like we all wake up. Of course, everybody yeah. wakes up at some point. Everybody wants to eat some food. Everybody 
um, wants to have a catch up or a chat in the kitchen, everybody's going to talk about what they want to do today. Maybe they'll eat some more food, uh, you know, and the day will end when we all have dinner. And then at some point when the sun's down, we'll go to bed, maybe. So that's like a rhythm. And then (laughs) maybe you've got some, which is different to a structure often or like a scaffolding It is more rigid Mm -hmm. and... Um, it's true that some kids like to know what so some kids do really well when they know and I have got one or two like this they would prefer to know what are we doing tomorrow my 15 year old I, every night before she goes to bed, what are you she says to me actually what are you doing tomorrow she doesn't because she will do her own, what are you doing tomorrow and uh sometimes <laughs> I know So she likes to know what's happening, what can I expect, what time should I get up, do I need to set my alarm. Um, My boys, I don't think they've ever asked me that. I don't know if they know what the day is. Um, And they have a very definite rhythm, but it's not anybody else's structure. And they are very happy to be fluid, but they've also got quite a lot. They've got a very rich life, a very rich social life. So they're always connected to their friends. One of them lives with us, actually. So they perhaps have less need to have controls because they actually feel pretty satisfied with their, with their life. Um, so the way we navigate it, I guess, is sometimes it might be the lowest common denominator. Like, oh, someone has a need right now for something. Um, lately it's been my youngest has a strong social need not getting enough social interaction, okay, that's the priority. So um, that's my priority and then everything shifts in the family to support that and and maybe some of that will involve some more structure or some scheduled activities to make something happen and everybody else kind of will fall in with that because I've said this is the priority right now. Um, But they're all older. My youngest is nine. When they were younger, um, naturally, I did lead that stuff more, even though they were very self-directed because they're sort of, um, when kids are much younger, I guess preschool age, but up to like seven or eight, they are more likely to just kind of do whatever it is that you're doing. And then they sort of come into their own and start going, oh, I've got a bit more control now. I don't want to do that thing. So we had a, probably had a stronger a stronger rhythm when they were younger because everybody was getting up at the same time, just naturally. Um, that's not the case anymore. I made food, everybody ate it. Then we were like, I might say, let's go to the zoo. And everyone said, sure. So we went to the zoo. And then at some point they kind of grow into, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm going to stay in bed or I'm going to stay up till 4 a.m. So I'm not going to be waking up at 7. And that's a gradual shift based on like age. So a lot of the challenges really kind of work themselves out as kids get older, better able to verbalise what's going on for them and just clearer about what their needs are. Okay, so so basically you, you've got, you know, um, something that's happening developmentally, you know, among them over time where um, they're, you know, they're communicating more about, you know, um, what they want and the structure that they need and, and what they need to um, check by you in order to facilitate that, 
you know, um, through the, the overarching family structure, because with, um, with four of them, you're going to have to split time. And that's just like the, the necessity that happens there. Um, just like what you're saying, if one wants to yeah. go to a parkour class, you have to figure out what you're doing with the other three. Right. So, um, so for her to, um, to communicate that to you and to, um, to set her schedule around that, it's more of, of her doing that in an autonomous way. Um, but checking in with you as as sort of the family facilitator in order to do that. So when you have parents yeah. that come to you and they and they say, you know, they have um, all of these concerns, like like the things that I've been voicing about, you know, structure and and you know, um, and you're calling it rhythm and and um, you know, setting up the course of your day and curriculum, all of, all of these things that that you think about when when you tend to think about school, just because that's how that's how we perceived school because that's what we did. What do you tell them, you know, as far as the differentiation and, and how to navigate that, especially when the kids have already, you know, had some time that they've been in school and they've gotten used to that as opposed to kids that have, have not been. Yeah, it's true. And, and there's this period that we call de-schooling that is, um, recommended to to do intentionally if you're pulling kids out of school of course it's the parents that really need to do it it's essentially deprogramming taking okay. out the old program and then yeah so we call it de-schooling but it's unlearning deprogramming all the stuff that you thought was true uh, and school is a pivotal piece of all of that because it's the main training ground for everything else about our world so de-schooling, some people mean, oh, let's just pretend we're on holidays for a few weeks. But actually, I would take that further and say you need to be open to questioning literally everything that you thought was true. Because once you remove school and once you start taking the old program out, literally everything else falls apart. And that, that is destabilising for some people and it is destabilising for some kids. So a parent finding out some big piece of information that they never knew before and kind of going, oh, my God, I can't believe we've been lied to about that thing, a kid could be feeling very, very similar about coming out of school and not having a timetable and not having anyone tell them where they have to be at 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock and that they've got half an hour for lunch and that they have to ask to go to the toilet and that they've got 12, 13, 14, 24 hours a day to do whatever they want. That is exciting, but it can also be pretty anxiety-inducing uh, and that's why in the unschooling world we do talk about this thing called de-schooling and suggest that parents just that do that, like just let everything go for a bit and see what's going to happen. Like when you chuck everything in the air and you wait to see where it's going to fall um, because some kids will respond by wanting to keep doing school at home. They are, they are so connected to the idea of having a schedule and not making any decisions that they don't know what to do without it. So they might be the kids who are like, right, I want to do, I want to sign up for all the classes and they want their mum to take them everywhere. And then there might be kids who literally just want to stay in their room for a year because they're so exhausted mm. from being told what to do. Um, and, of course, the parents on the other side of that have to navigate, like, what the hell is going on with my child? They don't want to come out of their room. They only want to watch YouTube. They don't, they hardly talk to me, um, some of which is like a bit of a teenage cocoony thing anyway. Um but it, it is how it, 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 that's what happens to get to the next thing. You know, just before some kind of massive transformation happens, I sort of think of it a little bit like birth. Like when you're in labour, then you have transition and you're like, oh, I can't, I don't want to do it. I don't, I don't like it. 
I don't like this. I don't want the baby. Can we put the baby back? And you really don't think you can do it. And then you do it and then you've got a baby. And you're like, oh, my God, that's what that was. It's like that. It's like everything in the wardrobe's on the floor and you're like, I don't know where it's all going to go. And then eventually it just gradually gets put back in a different spot because you don't want the old program that says you need to be told what to do and your child needs to be taught by an expert to be able to learn stuff and retain information. Um, And most parents spend, in the unschooling world, several months allowing that to happen. And, And while that's happening, they're freaking out, by the way, for sure. They are like, oh, my God, they only want to play Minecraft. They want to stay up all night. Um... They don't want to learn anything. They don't have any hobbies. That you know, all sorts of concerns <laughs> that come out in that in that time because it's like a beautiful chaotic, you know, mess. Um, and then things start to emerge as they do out of chaos. So, uh, what did you see happen with that with uh, with your oldest two? Because they had been in school and then then they you know then they came home and got used to not going. What what did you see with them and how did that play out? So my second child, who's now 13, he was seven or eight, and he he literally just was born to not go to school. He was born for it. So he needed, he was like, that's it. So he just launched straight into what he was doing before, except the school bit was gone. He was really the same. He did have some trauma, which came out several months later, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, um, We were in Spain and he hurt himself. And as he was crying over the physical pain, all of these other tears came out and he could not stop. And it came out that it was he had been holding on to this stuff about school, being told what to do and being separated from me. And we were at an event where he thought he'd have to leave me and he didn't want it, which he actually didn't, but he misinterpreted something. We were at a world schooling event. And the thought of being made to leave me brought back the trauma of school. And he had a massive big cry. And we were all like, oh, my God, this is, like, massive. We didn't know that that was, like, he's like, I didn't know. I didn't know that was in there either. He had no idea. He'd been, like, holding that all in um, probably for years. Uh, But not with, so notwithstanding that, he was, he was really, he didn't need to do anything, any decompressing, any deprogram. He, you know, there are some children who really are not, you cannot program them with anything that's not them. And he's one of those. He's, uh he you there's no way he's not influenced by anyone or anything he is so i mean some people would say stubborn but it's like he doesn't need anything out here it's all it's all in him um so he just flew straight away uh, my oldest was in school for longer and the first day i remember the first day they were home she sat the kids down at the table and she was teaching them to read and i've got this photo of she's like made worksheets and she's like sat the four of them down and she's uh yeah so she um she's always been she was always very busy though always very busy always doing things making things so she was she just got straight into um i don't think she missed the being told what to do she enjoyed having her own time to do her own creating um, but she would be the one who is still the most impacted by the school programming to some degree. Uh, she's 15. I mean, they've all been out of the school system for like five or six years. Um, and she's a teenager. And one of the really tricky things about teenagers outside of school is 
all of the rites of passage for teenagers are at school. So if you're not very intentional um, around helping your kids find community, for example, and do things that are important to them, they may start missing school. It's really common to hear teenagers in the, the general homeschooling world uh, in any any philosophy say, oh, I want to go to school. And often when you start drilling down, it's they're missing the prom, the exams, the high school dance. I don't know. I mean, it's different in every country, but um, first day of high school, last day of high school, the, the even uniforms, like just things that are like these the markers of teenage years, almost all of the big ones are orchestrated in the school system. Um, so it's like just something that parents who don't have kids in school have to pay attention to to make sure that their kids are still really connected to purpose. And it gets harder as they're teenagers for sure because I think naturally you shift into wanting to be more purposeful as you get older, like they move out of that conventional play and they're, in, they're, they're more into like, oh, how do I fit in my community? Like, what job am I going to do? When am I going to learn to drive? Like, who am I separate to my family? Um, and, and it is something that we have to think about really carefully when we're not in school because school takes care of all of that stuff for you. It's very easy. So what about, um, you know, in, in hitting those um, benchmarks and rites of passage as, as they um, go through those school years, um, and, and a lot of that is, um, it has a very social aspect to it. Um, what has been created around um, getting all of these unschooler, homeschooler kids together in order to create that sort of, um, that sort of social interaction for them with their peers? Well, there, I mean, the, the homeschooling community as a general rule in most countries in the world where it's possible to homeschool um, is really longstanding. So there are pretty well-established communities that you can tap into. But I think particularly over the last few years as it's gathered momentum, there are more and more opportunities, which doesn't mean it's easy, by the way. We actually haven't found it easy uh, because kids don't just want to hang out with anyone. That's the other thing that's really interesting and a point of difference between kids who are in school and not in school is they are really choosy. And I would say this is a this is a general rule among unschoolers and homeschoolers and world schoolers. They don't have to just be friends with the 20 kids in the classroom. They can choose and they can also choose to not have friends and just hang out at home because there's no one else fun to be with. Um, so they're actually really choosy and they don't want to put up with crappy friendships. They don't want to put up with a second best. They want like the real deal and they've all experienced it. All my friends, all my kids have got really close friendships and most families that we know well do as well. So they know what it's like when they choose their people. They know what that feeling is like when you're fully accepted for who you are and they're really not willing to accept anything else, which can be challenging because um they they we have to help them preserve those friendships and inconveniently for us they're not all geographically located where we are because we've been traveling too which is just another layer so we we work really hard and make it it is the priority for our kids you know if people were going to ask whether curriculum or connection was more important we will go connection every time and we travel and drive and pay money and do whatever we need to do to keep our kids connected with the people that they've chosen. Um, and it isn't easy. It's certainly not easy, but there are opportunities out there, but you've got to be really um, proactive and 
again, we're not handing over our children to the government to educate them. That's our that's our job. Like we've taken that on. So we've got to we've got to do that. Um, that's a that's our responsibility. So that makes a lot of sense, you know, when you think about the ways that that kids who are in school are, you know, sort of forced by the social structure of school to um, integrate with a bunch of kids that they may not like. And, and even having to do that um, in, in work later on, you know, having to be around a lot of people and, and get along with them that, that you don't necessarily like or get along with. And, and, you know, not having that autonomy of choice to, you know, decide whether you want to be around these people or not. It's sort of built into that, um, that structure within school. And then it's built into, um, you know, um, the workplace later on. So, um, you know, are, do you have thoughts on, on navigating that as opposed to what they're used to as far as just, you know, having complete autonomy over that? Yeah. Well, school is literally a training ground for work. So that's true. What you said is absolutely what's happening. Kids are trained, groomed, I like to call it groomed, <laughs> into yeah. accepting anything that somebody who they perceive is in authority tells them to do including work with people that are horrible and toxic and bullies. and But there is also a, a point where, yeah, we've, we we sometimes have to get on with people that we don't love. Like we're not best friends with everyone. Sometimes you've just got to have a working relationship with someone and that is a skill that based on the observations that I already have of my kids, being able to learn the things that they need when they need them, I believe that they will be able to learn that. But I also believe that they're less likely to be tolerant of things that are actually not okay for, for their spirit. And, and I think that most kids and adults have been trained to push their spirit down mm. to make other people happy. Um, and the best chance that I can see of having an antidote to that is to not train children to push that stuff down, to let them use their intuition. So when someone is not a good match for them energetically and they don't want to be around them, that they can go, I just don't like that person. Um, and, and they trust their, you know, we trust their intuition, which, by the way, was really hard. My oldest in particular has got like a very, very keen sense for energy. And it took me years at, to realise that was going on I thought she was just being a massive pain when she didn't want to like go to places um but it was actually just that she was taking she could feel all these energies in the room and she didn't want to be around that when she was three or four um and even now her instinct about people is very rarely wrong and sometimes it's really inconvenient and if I'm a people pleaser in recovery so that's been really hard for me to actually listen to her instinct and not push her to take on friendships that she knows are not for her. Um, and she's had to school me in that. And she's had to be really assertive on a number of occasions and just say, I'm not doing, I'm not doing that, Mum. I'm not, I'm not going to be friends with that person. Um, even though it's made life awkward for me. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm confident. I'm confident that I'm raising kids who um who won't tolerate things that hurt them. But I also think that. The other thing we haven't spoken about that's relevant is motivation. If they're motivated to learn a skill or put up with a person, they will. And, again, I've seen this through years of observation that kids, when kids are tapped into their internal compass, their internal motivation, they will choose when they want to do stuff. And when they want to do stuff, you can't stop them. 
it's really different to external motivation, which is what drives the school system is someone else telling you you've got to do the thing even when you don't want to, which which overrides your your internal guide. Um, and, I mean, that's what, what we're aiming for. If we've got a goal, and that's that's probably a whole other <laughs> whole other conversation to, to not be attached to things, um, that it's that that I can see internal motivation at work all the time when they choose to go do something that they didn't know how to do before, and that is worth preserving because your internal motivation is literally attached to to your psyche, your spirit, your whatever you want to call it. That's that's you, and uh, you don't want that to be messed with. So, talking about motivation, let's go back to something that you were talking about before. Um, where you know you were talking about how kids are motivated by um, by the accolades that they receive and by the attention that they receive for doing something creative versus the inclination to do something creative just to do it, and yep. the way that there's sort of a, a carrot stick kind of uh, method set up for for giving kids accolades and and having them show things to people for that kind of validation outwardly as opposed to you know. Um, inwardly knowing you know that this is what they want to explore and and whether that's you know good or bad or, or the the judgments that they put on it themselves and and the direction that they want to go with that you know how how they end up sussing that out in a different way from kids who have been indoctrinated into a system of of sort of chasing those accolades um can can you speak to the the difference that you've seen there and and the way that they interact with um with creativity in that sort of way, and and the um, and the way that that they're able to um, to react to their environment without having their creativity be um, quashed like that. Yeah, it's literally one of my favorite topics. <laughs> because, uh, <laughs> so so everything that all the ideas that I have about kids uh, have come from observing kids. So that I haven't. I mean, I've, I've I've read some stuff and I've had some ideas sparked. Uh, by conversation, but it's overwhelmingly by watching kids. And and what I noticed was exactly what you suggested, my children not seeking accolades. So, you know, we're told that you've got to constantly reward kids for like good good job, good walking, good jumping, good high five. Like they didn't want that stuff. Um, and I'm thankful that I was sort of, um, it's a combination of, of having children who really know who they are and haven't let me get away with it. But I did also read a book, which I highly recommend called Punished by Rewards by Alfie Cohen. Um, he's also one of my favourite writers. He doesn't specifically write about homeschooling or anything, but he's um, he understands what makes kids work. And he's really talking about, he talks a lot about connection and attachment between parent and child and challenges a lot of these concepts that drive the, the industrialised education system around praising children and rewarding children to get them to do what you want. Um, and what he says is that rewards are the same as the punishment. So if you reward a child, you are, first of all, pulling them out of their instinct. You are also putting them at risk of one day not getting the reward, which is the same as a punishment to a child. They're two sides of the same coin. Do the thing and you get a reward. Don't do the thing and you'll get a punishment, which might not be that they get a smack or they're not allowed to have dessert, but it might be that there was an expectation of a reward if they did a good job. They don't do a good job, they don't get the reward. It's the same as being punished. So I noticed at the same time as I read that book that my kids were not asking for affirmation. They weren't even telling me that they were doing stuff. They were just doing stuff. 
They weren't saying, oh, come and watch me climb a ladder or come and look at this Play-Doh pizza I made. They were just doing it. And I would, like, find the things that they were doing uh, or, or see out the kitchen window that one of them had climbed something really high and they weren't asking for an acknowledgement because, like, it's a no-brainer. Of course they're going to do that stuff because they're human children. So they're going to learn how to do the things that humans need to learn how to do unless they're locked in a cupboard. So they don't need to be rewarded for being human. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And it's the reward that gives the parent control because the parent can turn it or teacher can turn it on and off. And the child has no control over that. I like that. I like the work that you did. I'll give you a reward. I don't like it. You don't get a reward. Or I, I didn't want you to do that. I'm going to punish you. So, and, and the child has no control over that um, because it's really dished out on a whim. Uh, although some parents may think that they've got a system for this stuff, it can be fueled by, you know, your own emotions as a parent. And the only sure thing is that kids know how to learn and know how to do stuff without the constant praise, which doesn't mean that we don't support our kids and that we don't share in their joy. Um, the other interesting thing that I observed, again, from my children, and as I've gotten older, they've been able to explicitly tell me as well, that when, it, when a, a parent or a teacher rewards their child or feels pride in what their child has done, which is usually what the reward's all about, they're actually like stealing a little bit of it for themselves. They may have had nothing to do with the child doing the thing that was amazing, but they want to take a little bit of it. And when my um, my now nine-year-old could read, right, so she, my, my youngest two children learnt to read just by some kind of magical osmosis. We don't really know how they did it, but it was really exciting to watch. And my youngest was very verbal, like she was learning very outwardly and I could see it happening. And I was really excited, right, because it is a bit of a milestone being able to read. And she was getting really irritated with me because she felt like, yeah, she felt like I was trying to take a little bit of it from her. She's like, I'm doing it, Mum. You're not doing it. Like, this is all me, like, type thing. This is my thing. It's not (laughs) your thing. I'm like, oh, my God. you're Yeah, 100%. You're right. Like, I was actually really excited for her, but she did not need my, she did not need my excitement. And Further to that, a related story was last year, she was really close to being able to ride her bike, really close. And I got way too excited about it and put the weight of that expectation on her. And it, yeah, so she didn't ride her bike. She just didn't quite have the motivation to, to stick with it or what she wasn't, the pieces weren't all there, whatever. She sort of abandoned it. And she said, it was partly because she, because of my reaction, she thought she was going to do it, but then she didn't do it. She was really cross with herself. So I'm like, oh, I, even though I think I'm the master of holding my tongue, I'm still, I still got to reading like, your face and and your yeah. expressions and yeah. and your your emotions attached to that, and you're yeah. anticipating that yeah. she's going to have a big win. So you're happy yeah. for her, like waiting yeah. for the big win, yeah. you know, and, and, yeah. and any mom would do that, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a matter of, of the way that she's internalizing that. And, and yeah, I guess you, you don't realize how much of, of your energy just in general that they're picking up off of you, that they can feel that. And they know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, she, that's just her personality and she just, oh. she's, she's actually always been like that. My other kids are a bit, are a bit different, but it's just an example of how we often without realizing it, burden our children with 
rewards or punishment or some kind of external driver, even when we don't know we're doing it, even though I'm just even expectation. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That makes a lot of sense. To hear part two of this interview, please subscribe at starfirecodes.com.